0: at the door, just like all the years before. This year, a little rain. Welcome every single one of you in from the Ten Directions for this special service together. First I'd like to share uh, some of uh, Venerable Samusunam's New Year's uh, Dharma for you. He starts with gentleness, overcome. Anger. with generosity overcome meanness, with truth overcome deceit. The first practice, with gentleness overcome anger, renders your unhappy mind and complaints into joy among the living and friendship. The second practice, with generosity, overcome meanness, makes your anxiety into gratitude. So that's why Sanha said in a moment, the switch is kind of magic. And then the third practice, with truth, overcome deceit. This third practice makes your small mind big-hearted. And then he says, let us smile. Let us thrive together. And which brings me this Thrive Together to the theme for the patchwork (coughs) things which I'd like to offer you uh, this evening. It is, um, starts with a couple of weeks ago in Ann Arbor when we had our winter Sangha gathering and members of all ages come. We did some, we did the refuges just like we did and we did the precepts just like we did. And then we, I said to them, why did you come here? What's the reason for coming here? And one of the, one, one, we had an eight-year-old, and he said, Let's play games. <laughs> <laughs> and others had talked about compassion. And I said, you haven't guessed what I had in mind for your answer. That's not really fair for a teacher to do together have everybody guess, but I said it's to understand ourselves as kin. K-I-N, And to experience kinship and kindred spirit. It's what Sanha described as non-duality. Yeah. So I think that's why we're also here tonight. You might not have had it in mind when you set out to come to a special service at the Zen Buddhist temple. But ultimately, when we come right down to the basic experience that is often experienced during meditation, but not necessarily. It could be when you're out in nature. Oftentimes, you can have a real affinity, a, we say, spontaneous, obvious, intimate experience, which is an affirmation of kinship. So the Buddha said, when he heard from his disciple, Ananda, who said, blessed one, I think that friendship is 50% the most important in your teachings?" And they said, not so, Ananda. It's a hundred percent the most important. So, to start this little exploration about kin and friendship, we could call it love in the deepest sense of love. I'm going to uh, read to you a story that those of you who have been coming longer than three years will have heard before because I used to always read this story. It's kind of my favorite story, uh, especially for New Year's Eve. And I decided a few years ago I should try to come up with a different story, but I'm back to it. Well, you'll see. The story mm-hmm. concer- is called The Rabbi's Gift. The story <laughs> concerns a monastery that had fallen upon hard times. It was once a great order, but because of persecution, all its branch houses were lost, and there were only five monks left in the decaying house. The abbot and for others, all over 78 in age. Clearly, it was a dying order. <laughs> in the deep woods surrounding the monastery, there was a little hut that a rabbi occasionally used for hermitage. The old monks had become a bit psychic, so they could always sense when the rabbi was in his hermitage the rabbi is in the woods the rabbi is in the woods they would whisper it occurred to the abbot on that particular occasion that he might visit the rabbi <laughs> and get some advice on how to save his monastery the rabbi welcomed the abbot to his hut And when the abbot explained his visit, the rabbi said, I know how it is. The spirit has gone over the people. It is the same in my town. Almost no one comes to the synagogue anymore. So the old abbot and the old rabbi wept together. Then they read parts of the Torah and spoke of deep things. When the abbot had to leave, they embraced each other. It has been wonderful that we should meet after all these years, the abbot said. But I have failed in my purpose for coming here. Is there nothing you can tell me that would help me save my dying order? No, I am sorry. The rabbi responded, I have no advice to give. But what I can tell you is that the Messiah is one of you. When the abbot returned to the monastery, his fellow monks gathered around him to ask, well, what did the rabbi say? The rabbi said something very mysterious. It was something cryptic. He said that the Messiah is one of us. I don't know what he meant. In the time that followed, the old monks wondered about the significance of the rabbi's words. The Messiah is one of us? Could he possibly have meant one of us monks? If so, which one? Do you suppose he meant the abbot? Yes, if he meant anyone, he probably meant Father Abbott. He has been our leader for more than a generation. On the other hand, he might have meant Brother, brother Thomas. Certainly, Brother Thomas is a holy man. Everyone knows that Thomas is a man of light. Certainly, he could not have meant brother Elwood. <laughs> <laughs> Elrod gets crotchety <laughs> at times. But come to think of it, even though he's a thorn in people's sides, when you look back at it, Elrod is virtually always right. Often very right. Maybe the rabbi did mean Brother Elred. But surely not Brother Philip. Philip is so passive, a real nobody. (laughs) But then, almost mysteriously, he has a gift for always being there when you need him. He just magically appears. Maybe Philip is the Messiah. Of course, the rabbi didn't mean me. (laughs) He couldn't possibly have meant me. I'm just an ordinary person. Yet, supposing he did. Oh, God, not me.
1: (laughs) He had much
0: for you. contemplated the old monks began to treat each other with extraordinary respect (coughs) on the chance that one among them might be the (laughs) Messiah and they began to treat themselves with extraordinary respect. People still occasionally came to visit the monastery in its beautiful forest, to picnic on its tiny lawn, to wander along some of its paths, even to meditate in the dilapidated chapel. As they did, they sensed the aura of extraordinary respect that began to surround the five old monks seemed to radiate out from them and permeate the atmosphere of the place. There was something strangely compelling about it. Hardly knowing why, they began to come back to the monastery to picnic, to play, to pray. They brought their friends to this special place and their friends brought their friends. Then some of the younger men who came to the monastery started to talk more and more with the old monks. After a while, one asked if he could join them, then another, and another. So within a few years, the monastery had once again become a thriving order, and thanks to the rabbi's gift, a vibrant center of light and spirituality Mm -hmm. in the realm. Mm -hmm. It's my feeling that we have all our own version wherever we live or work or go to school of this Situation, and if we take the spirit that in and in Buddhism we say everybody's a Buddha, and begin to treat them and to be treated like that, then again, it's felt and appreciated so much. We call this a kind of love. Because a lot of these guys, one was crotchety, but he was also (coughs) had some good habits. Others, they both had, all of them had sort of negative and positive characteristics. And so there began to be the appreciation for them with it all. And it's a kind of non-duality, a special kind of what we could say love. So I want, next to... Share with you something from a Buddhist priest who, who is an African American, and she's kind of on the cutting edge for um, inclusion in the United States, and for um, it's a kind of radical Dharma. And she talks about love, and I'm always on. Love is such a worn-out word, so I'm always on the lookout. For somebody who can really put love on the more cutting edge for us. Something that's really true rather than there was a song that most of you wouldn't remember, but it went, What is love? Five feet of heaven in a ponytail. <laughs> I think it was it. Uh. <laughs> <feet old> <laughs> I'm always looking for and always wanting to have an experience that goes beyond that kind of narrow. And so Angel came up with something that I would like to share with you about it and see what you think. She says, I got to a point of hearing this and that, about love. She says, from Buddha, from Jesus. I got to the point that I had to bring it into my perception of the world, that love was not to be limited to my bedroom, in my family, and just people that I thought I liked, making love a quantified Do I have a preference for you? (laughs) Let me just read you that again. This, her idea of love, was not to be limited to my bedroom or my family, and just people that I thought I liked. Making love a quantified, do I have a preference for you? Are you reflecting back to me what I want to be reflected back to me? And if you are, and if you are enhancing (coughs) my idea of myself, then I love you. (laughs) Indeed, a limited way of understanding love. These days, most often, I think love is space. I think love is space. It is developing our own capacity for spaciousness within ourselves to allow others to be (laughs) as they are. That is love. It doesn't mean that we don't have wishes that things be changed or fine-tuned, shifted. It's about reorienting, she says. First, centering in our relationship to ourselves as evolving, fluid, ever-expansive creatures whose role is to be observer and listener. Seek not first to understand rather than to be understood. What is that? What has that inspired in me? What has it called forth in me? What is this Discomfort. What am I willing to do with Not separate, not dual, non duality is really the truest form of love. In my experience, and I'm not, I'm. I'm actually falling, around, falling in love quite a bit, so it doesn't have to have any special conditions except for me to pay attention. And a really beautiful little story that I'll share is that a couple of years ago I was at the Chicago Temple for our summer retreat. and. I was in a room right next to the meditation hall, which is like this room there, and um, my roommate was a woman older than me. We're both in our seventies, and um, she um, we we didn't talk because silence was being kept, and she um loved meditation. She was doing it way more than me, and we had to have quite a reset. We had the schedule, but she always would do more. She had long white hair to her buttocks, and at night she would let it out, and I would take out my hearing aid and put off my glasses. She would take out her teeth and put them in a couple of <laughs> Just the two of us, you know, in silence, being who we were. (laughs) And then, you know, after the retreat of us being together in that room, uh, I, we went for a walk and began to talk and we had a meal. And she told me all about her husband who's in his 80s and still a very active violinist uh, in New York City and she cares for him a great deal and I didn't have anyone to tell her about but I told her about my kids and we spoke about kids and when I she went home to New York to look back to her husband before I left to go back to Ann Arbor and I (coughs) saw her to the car which was to take her to the airport and I sang a song to her. I just came. I don't usually sing on on the side of the road in (laughs) (laughs) artisanship. But it came, and I'll share that song (laughs) with you. And then when I went back into the temple, there's a little bathroom in that room, and I just had some energy. It was after the retreat, and our meetings hadn't started, and so I decided I'd just clean the bathroom. (laughs) I really love cleaning. When I really get into it, you know, it just takes the resist. once I get past the resistance. <laughs> <laughs> and so I got down on my hands and knees on the floor with a cloth, and I went around the little trim, and it turned out that nobody had done that before. <laughs> so I really got a lot of dirt on my cloth. Have you ever been happy about that? Yeah. <laughs> and so I was, it was a white tile, Kind of bathroom floor, typically white tile, old tiles. And I was going with a wet cloth all over. And then, between a crack, I saw something. And I went right down with my fingers. And I picked up a long, white hair. It was such a moment. It was like a moment of real love. There I was, loving the bathroom and cleaning, and then remembering Sagu and how precious it had been for us to spend a little time together. Usually saying nothing at all. So that year, I could go on because I had some lovely um, love stories. One, have you ever heard of the one man circus? David Dimitri, I saw tents going up near the temple and so I decided that I'd go and find out what was going on to all these tents in the park. And there was a security guard and he said, go on YouTube and look up David Dimitri. So I went up on YouTube and there was this picture of this circus man who brought the whole circus, put it all together. (laughs) himself, and then what he did, and in the YouTube, I saw he shot himself out of a cannon, and I saw this picture that had been felt of him, of his hand reaching out and getting down to get some matches, and then he brought the match back, and he brought the wick up. This all I would see was his hand doing that. It was just fascinating to me. And then of course he lit the and he got shot out of his, his uh, <laughs> I thought, I think I'll invite him for breakfast, because he's only three blocks <clears throat> from the temple. You know, who invites the circus man? <laughs> <laughs> I, so I wrote a note and I said, Dear David, We'd really like to have you come for breakfast. We have the best breakfast in town, and you would be very welcome. And uh, I walked up the next morning to give him. I was going to tape it on the circus tent, because I thought he might not be around. But there was um, a man that looked like him around, and another man, and a couple of other people. And so I went up to the man, and I said, are you David? He said, no, that's my brother. He's over there. And I was sort of, I didn't know whether I really wanted to give it to him directly. I thought it would have been much easier to just scotch tape it on the side of the bed. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I I'm into this up to my neck now, so let me just go. So I went, waited in line, and then I said, I've got an invitation to breakfast. And he said, oh, great. Can my brother come too? And I said, Yes. So we were all excited in the temple that the one-man circus man was coming for breakfast. And we just really carefully prepared for him. But he didn't because he was so busy and he got extra performances up in the park. And so he talked, phoned, and he said, why don't you come to the performance? I'd love to give you a ticket. In fact, I'll give you four tickets for other people, too. And I said, well, thank you. So I went with them all. But before I went, I went out into the garden. And it was August, so I picked the flowers of battle. (coughs) They have really quite a beautiful smell. I picked cosmos. I picked um, just whatever kinds of things were around. It was a motley little bouquet. And I carried it up, and we all went in, and we watched the performance. And of course, it was just wonderful. (coughs) And then the last thing he did was go out of the top of the tent and walk on a tightrope across the park up oh to this heart. huge pole We're using a balance. Okay. Yeah. And then he came down, and I rushed up to him, and I gave him the flowers. Oh and I was so happy. He said, wait, I'm going to get changed. I'll be back. And so did you hear this story before? No. <laughs> okay. So he came back. And the four of us who had had tickets and hips, we all sat down on the grass. And he said, wow, it smells like some of those flowers had basil in them. And I said, yes, yeah. right from the temple garden. And we have bees. So we gave him some honey too. And we asked him questions. And it was so nice to just be brave enough to ask the, give the invitation. And then. Follow up with it and have this marvelous moment. I felt it was like another love moment. Mm-hmm. And my, I, yeah, of course I could tell you more, but I wanted to just <laughs> demystify love into where you just get so much in tune with the situation that there is no separation. There's just being. And it brings out creative creativity, really wonderful feeling within us when we do that. It's so empowering <laughs> that it's you want to keep doing more stuff like that. So here's the song <clears throat> that I sang by the side of the road. <laughs> and we sang it last year too. It goes like this. No coming, no, no going, no after, no. I hold you close to me, I release you to be so free, because I am in you. it for the next time you need such a (laughs) song. Getting some really wonderful things this evening. Okay? Let's go. We're going to sing it twice because once you sing it once, then you really get it. (laughs) Okay. No. loving people and practice on humility. The water pours way. Water always flows low and down. From this, we learn humility. Water does not refuse dirty or soiled water. From this, we learn inclusivity and magnanimity. When faced with obstacles, Water takes a winding course and meanders to overcome impediments. From this, we learn wisdom. Water adapts itself to any situation and fits into any size container. From this, we learn adaptability and flexibility. Water is patient and endures as raindrops dripping from the eaves and digging holes into stone. From this we learn perseverance. Water is not afraid of throwing itself over a cliff to make a cascading waterfall. From this we learn grit and courage. Water travels ceaselessly to reach the ocean, where it becomes one with the ocean, practice of non-duality. We're, I think we're like 17 to 90% water, so we have all these qualities to offer. Now, and the last thing. Okay, from Leonard Cohen, our good Canadian brother. He's very so talented. This world is full of conflicts and full of things. We cannot be reconciled. But there are moments when we can reconcile and embrace the wholeness. And that's what I mean by hallelujah! <laughs>